This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Well, now we will get into the preaching of the Word. If you have your Bible or have your device, open it to Romans 8, 28. We took a month off from this series that we are calling the best chapter in the Bible. And we are getting back into it to finish strong over the next three weeks this morning. Romans 8, 28. You know, I think if Romans 8 is the best chapter in the Bible, I think I'm ready to say that Romans 8.28 might just be the best verse in all of the Bible. Whatever the other great verses are that you love, if you love John 3.16, proclaiming the, the central truth of eternal life available to anybody through Jesus. If you are a Philippians 1, 6 person, that God finishes all the good work that he starts in the lives of people. If you've got a coffee cup or a t-shirt with Jeremiah 29, 11 on it, and you say that, you, that God has plans for you, first you've taken that verse slightly out of context. You want to read Ephesians 2, 10. It says the same thing, but that actually does apply to you in your life, that God does have good work for you to walk in, that he's prepared in advance for you. So whether you're a Philippians 1 person or an Ephesians 2 person or a John 3:16 person, all of those verses are wrapped up and captured in the bear hug that is Romans 8:28. And so if you have your Bibles, if you've got your devices, let's click over on them. And let's just read this out loud together. You might even have a different translation. I'm reading as usual from the ESV. But if you've got it there, just read it out loud with me. These truths are so good. We need to hear them for ourselves. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You shouldn't read Romans 8.28 without reading Romans 8.29, but I'm going to do that a little bit this morning because I wanted to spend just the entire time on this one verse next week is Romans 8.29 and 30. Let's pray. God, this may very well be the best verse in the Bible. Every good promise, every assurance, every covenant, every hope, every good work comes to us and lays under this promise that for those who love you, all things are working together for good. And you've sealed that promise by calling us according to your purpose. And so God, I pray that you would encourage and assure and affirm the believers in Christ this morning. And for those who don't have their hope rooted in him, who are looking to something else for assurance, would you awaken their hearts, open their eyes to see the goodness that you have given to us in your calling and purpose. I pray for my words, the things that I've prepared to say, that they are a great, great affirmation of the truth to these people. Anything that is not from you for these people, I pray that you would be good enough to wipe away from our memory. 
We only want to take away what you have for us from this time. Thank you for Romans 8, 28, this beautiful truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Romans 8, 28. You either believe this verse or you do not. There is no halfway point with Romans 8, 28. Your choices are either to believe that there is a God who is powerful enough, present enough, and purposeful enough to work good in all situations for his children, or you don't believe in the God of the Bible. I know those are bold claims. I know it seems like I've drawn a hard line. I have. That's it. You only have those two options. From the very first verse in the Bible, a God, the God, is revealed who is not part of creation. And everything else, all things were made by him. They were not made out of spare parts. They were not made of, out of what was lying around. There wasn't raw material that this God arranged and then set or somehow welded together to make a universe. He created everything out of nothing. It would be theologically inaccurate to say that God created the universe out of thin air. Because before he made it, there was no such thing as thin air to create out of. And then the rest of the Bible after that very, those very first few verses reveals a God who commands everything that he created. Nothing rivals him for power and nothing happens outside of his control. Theologically, we call this providence. God is always at work everywhere in the world. And you either believe that in its entirety or you don't. Either you believe that God is at work in everything or you have to wonder. You're left with these questions. Are there things outside of his control? Are there things he chooses not to take an interest in? Am I somebody? Is this some time? Am I in the midst of something that he has chosen not to be interested in? that he's chosen not to be involved in, that he can't do anything about. No, Christian, friend, no. We can rest assured that God is giving his full attention and bringing his might, all his might, to bear on every situation at every moment for every one of us everywhere in the world. At all times, God is bringing his entire presence everywhere into everything into everyone in the world as we break this down i'm going to concentrate on the middle words of this verse not at the neglect of the rest of it but because that's where the medicine is the middle words are where the medicine of romans 8 28 is on their own and if they're used indiscriminately many medicines are harsh and they are harmful we even take medicines that in the wrong dosage or not refined in the right way are poisonous. But when you combine the right ingredients, when there's 
a skillful hand of a pharmacist or a chemist, and then they're administered at the right dosage by the physician, medicine is good, it helps, it cures the patient. That's what God is. He's the pharmacist, he's the chemist, he's the doctor. And the medicine is the middle of Romans 8.28. When applied the right way at the right dosage, all things work for our good. Work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Before we get there, let me just set you up. At the beginning of this verse, it says, and we know. That's a direct contrast to just a few verses earlier when Paul said that we do not know what to pray for in verse 26. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So when we come to what we do not know, the Spirit intercedes for us. The contrast between who knows and who doesn't is the contrast between us and God. There are times that we don't know what we are doing. We don't know what to pray for. In other words, we not only do not know what we are doing, we're not even sure which direction we should be going in. We might not even know how to talk to God about the circumstance that we're presently in. We don't even know what to pray for, Paul says in 826. And now two verses later, Paul is saying that never happens to God. That never happens to God. Where we are regularly unsure of what to pray or how to pray or what to do, God is always working according to providence. When we're so lost and disoriented, that we're not even sure which way to start walking, God is always walking toward home. And the next few words, after and we know, are for those who love God. If you love God, friend, if you love God, you can have a holy confidence that his providence, his power, his might, his presence is at work for your good. And we know, for those who love God, and now we get these middle words. This is where I want to spend the bulk of our time. All things work together for good. I have three points here, and then one at the end. So four total, but the, the prime rib of Romans 8.28 is the three points based on the words right here in the middle. All things work together for good. So first... We know that for those who love God, all things, those two words, all things work together. All things, not some things, not many things, not even most things, but all things. And this is a big part of why we can't go halfway in this verse. If God is who he says he is, if his word is true, then he's always at work. This doesn't just include He's at work in the nice things that people who say they believe in God do, but this includes even the bad things, even the tragic things, even the evil things done by people who say they hate God and work against him. 
no matter what the intentions of men or women, the good purposes of God are never thwarted. And here's why that's good for you and me. And here's why that's good for the world, that the good purposes of God are never thwarted, even by the most evil of men and women. So first, the world. In Genesis 1, God creates and populates the world with all kinds of wildlife and and animals, and he puts two humans on the earth. And not long after that, the people sinned, and in a sense, the, the perfect world that God created is ruined. And there were consequences for Adam and Eve's actions. Even the earth itself couldn't remain the same. But even in the midst of that sin, even in the midst of the curse that came because of that sin, God was saying, even though life would have to be harder now, there would be glimmers of hope. And it's clear from even the first pages of scripture that God was not caught off guard by that sin. The first sin didn't frustrate his plan and neither has any, any single sin that has come after it. And that's why it's not only good news for the world that evil things done by men and women won't thwart the purposes of God, but it's also grace to you. It's also grace to us. Sin doesn't prevent the good work of God, and that includes your sin. Your sin does not preclude the good work of God. You, Christian, and and anybody else listening, need to hear me say, the next two things. You are a sinner deserving punishment. That's thing number one. You are a sinner deserving punishment. But when God chooses to save you, this is thing number two, not even you can change his mind or alter his course. You are a sinner deserving punishment, but when God chooses to save you, not even you can change that in his mind. I have talked to many people who are worried and they're scared that their sin, their past, their choices, their selfishness, their anger, their mistakes, their shortcomings, their failures are too much for God. And even though they want forgiveness, even though they want fellowship and relationship with him, They're afraid that it's too much for God. And either he can't do it or he'll decide not to do it. Is that you today? Have you come this morning? Have you tuned in online this morning? Thinking that all these other people, all the other people around you can experience that grace of God. They can know his love, but you can't. Romans 8.28 is in your Bible to tell you that's not how it works. It says that God is able to work all things together for the good of those who love him. That includes even the worst things. And I'm not saying there aren't consequences for your sin. And I'm not saying that you're not at fault Some of our sins have disastrous consequences. Many things, we bear a lot of fault sometimes. Some of those faults are going to follow us. Some of those consequences are going to be with us for our lifetimes. But that never means that God can't be at work through them. Even your sin can't frustrate the purpose of God and change his mind about your life, including your salvation. 
God really is at work in all things for good, which means you never have to wonder. Folks, you never have to wonder if this is the time, if right now is finally when he's going to turn his back on you. He won't. He doesn't. You never have to fear that he is going to leave you alone because he's always at work in all things. No one, no force, no power outmaneuvers God. If you have sinned, and you have, God may allow difficult consequences to drive you toward repentance. He often does that. But rest assured today that if you have sinned, it will not mean that God is done with you. It does not mean that God is finished with you. So God works in all things. And that's the next word. Let's look at it, work. For those who love God, all things work. We're called to work. We're called to be people of vocation because that is the pattern God gives us and the rhythm that he set out for us. But that does not mean that our work and his work are one and the same. At any given second, God is at work and his work is orchestrating the lives of billions of people doing an incalculable number of things in their lives. And if you love him, remember that's where we started, and if you love him, every single one of the things that he is doing is for your good. So just think about this for a moment. God who made the universe, God whose power has no limits, who is all-knowing and wise he never stops working for your good. That's the best possible promise in the world. He is always active, actively working for your good. It's better than anything that this world has to offer. There's nothing that this world has to offer that will consistently, constantly, always be working for your good. Your money will not work for your good all the time. Being famous will not work for your good all the time. Your health will at some point fail you. You can never live long enough for your body to always be at work. A big house, a successful career, fat bank account, those are nothing, nothing compared to the to, to God Almighty never taking a moment's rest for work, at working for your good. Even when other people are working against you, God is working for you and they are no match for his power. No match for his power. In the book of Genesis, there's a man named Joseph who's an important part of the, the history of God's people. He has many older brothers who are jealous of him and at one point they devise a plan to sell him into slavery. It actually happens, but God bends that evil plan of the brothers into the shape of his good purposes. Through Joseph being taken away from his home, he becomes a powerful advisor to the Egyptian Pharaoh and is able to save his family. And through that salvation of his family, he keeps the early part of the story of all people's salvation possibility through Jesus going. 
Toward the end of the book of Genesis, near the end of Joseph's story, his brothers come to apologize and ask for Joseph's mercy for what they've done. And Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Even where harm was intended by the brothers, God used it for good. And that's what he does. And the way Joseph says this is important. Joseph did not say what you did was evil, but God found some little silver lining to make it good. He said God meant it for good. What Joseph's brothers thought was their wicked action was actually the sovereign hand of the Lord bringing about his plan. Remember, all things work together for good. This is the way that God always works. He doesn't just save his work for the big things. You know, where the Bible story needs to be moved along. He doesn't just save his good work for the best Christians, the most holy and the most righteous, the most prominent Christians. He's doing his good work in the life of every believer at every moment of every single day. If you love him, he's at work for your good in your life right now. He's doing it right now. So all things work. And then the third piece of these middle words are all things work together for good. The way we sometimes use the word good and, and when it comes to our everyday life and the way it's used to refer to the character and work of God are very different. If you go to a new restaurant, you know back when we used to go to new restaurants, and, and somebody asks, how was the food? And you said, it was good. That's probably not the ringing endorsement either your friends are looking for or the restaurant wants on Google or Yelp or wherever. They don't want the food was good. In order for the rest of us to really want to go to the restaurant, we need to hear you say it was great. It was superb. It was excellent. We need to hear you say it may have been the best omelet I've ever had. If you say a restaurant is good, most of us are just going to hear fine, not great, kind of mediocre, wouldn't call it bad, but there are probably better places around. That's not what we mean when we say God is good and he does good. We don't mean good like fine and mediocre, but probably can go someplace better. We mean that the goodness of God is the definition and standard of right. It is the standard of purity. It is the standard of all good. Everything he does, we would say, is the best. That's what we mean when he says he's working for our good. We mean he's working for our best of those who love him. That doesn't mean, just so we're clear, that everything breaks the way you want it to, or you always win, or you always succeed. It means that God knows what is best for you and that he will work in every aspect of your life to bring about that right, that good, that best.
Sometimes that means showing you a sweet, tender mercy, forgiveness, and grace beyond measure, more and more grace. Sometimes it means blessing beyond anything that you'd expected. And other times, it means working to bring you to a place of utter desperation so that you will see your need, maybe even suffering hard consequences so that you will be driven to repentance. Because sometimes that's what we need. That's what's best for us is to be driven to an end to ourself, to a repentance of trying to sit on the throne of our own lives and to be driven to our knees in prayer, crying out for mercy. The best definition of good, God's good work actually comes in the next verse, verse 29. We'll concentrate on this next week, but it's important that we bring it into our definition of good right now. Verse 29 says that he's doing this so those he has chosen and loves will be conformed to the image of his son. There, there it is. That's the definition. That is what God is doing. If you are in him, that's his definition of good in your life, that you are more and more mirroring the mind and the heart and the love of his son, Jesus Christ. If that's what God wants to do in our lives, then the best thing for us to do is not to fight that, but to get on board with the good work of God by embracing that ongoing transformation. Embracing the good work in our lives means embracing conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. The good things that God wants to do in our lives and the things we are told are good and the things that the world often tells us and leads us to seek after will be opposed often. Again, if we're setting our hope on wealth or acclaim or health or anything that is expendable in this life, we will not be able to be fully invested in being conformed to the image of Christ, which is God's plan for us. You can't chase after the things of the world and chase after the things of being conformed to God the Son all at the same time. You can't do it. You can't have two masters. Either you're being conformed into the image of God's Son or you're being conformed into something less than that. That's something that's not God's best. That is what God wants most. And when we find it, folks, you can have everything the world has to offer. And you can still feel empty and alone and devoid of any real happiness. But if you embrace the things that God loves, and if you see the work that God wants to do in your life, namely to be transformed into the image of Christ, you will have a, a fountain of continual happiness in God because that is what he will give you. More and more satisfaction, more and more hope, more and more happiness in him because he is the fountain of all joy. Everything the world has to offer will eventually fail you and leave you devoid, just wanting, trying to look after the, trying to look and find the next thing. Only in God will be satisfied forever. 
God has promised to satisfy us forever. Psalm 1611, at his hand, right hand are pleasures forevermore. God always fulfills his promises. He'll give it to you if you seek it. He'll give it to you if you allow him to conform you to the image of his son. There's one more piece to this verse. It says, for those who are called according to his purpose. Put that together with the first section. And we see that God works all things together for good for people who love God and who he has called according to his purpose. And this means that, that Romans 8.28 does not apply to everybody the same way. It is a promise for those who love him and those he has called. That means there's a human perspective to this and a divine perspective to this. From our point of view, this promise is exclusively for people who love God. Loving God means worshiping him with your whole heart. Loving the things that he loves, finding your deepest joy in him. I know there are many people here who love God this morning, but it's important that you hear me say that going to church or serving others, or even reading your Bible. Those are good things, but they are not the same things as loving God. It's possible to do all of those things and more good things and not love God. Have no real affection for him. To love God means to worship him and to trust him. And even when things are difficult and there is suffering, to cry out to him, not in defiance, but to ask for his nearness. To love God means that there is nothing sweeter to you than the presence and the fellowship of God. That's the human perspective. Do you love God? Not just kind of hang around him, but do you truly love him? And then there's a divine perspective. There's God's perspective. And that's that the people he calls, the people who love him, who turn to him in love, he has first reached out to them and chosen them. First John 4, 9 says we love because he first loved us. To be called by God means to come to an end of trying to justify yourself, to, to save yourself, or even to be much impressed by yourself. People who have been called by God realize that in and of themselves, they have little, if anything, to bring to God. People who have been chosen by God and called by him are amazed by his grace. Listen, if you think you're a big deal, I'm not sure you've been called and chosen by God. If you think you're pretty great, I do have cause to wonder really whether you really know him and love him. People who've been called by God realize they have nothing to offer him and are just amazed by his grace that he would bend and stoop to care for them. So is that you this morning? Have you come to the end of trying to make yourself seem great and instead your desire is for the glory of God? What about your sense of peace and, and hope and assurance from Romans eight twenty eight? Being called by God does not mean we're free from worry and doubt and fear. But there should be a growing trust and a distinct movement away from worry, 
away from holding on tightly to the control of the circumstances of our lives, and there should be a weight lifted, the kind of lifting that comes from feeling the freedom of no longer needing feeling like it all depends on you, that if you screw up, your life's going to be bad. Instead, you can know a peace, the peace of a loving God who is working all things together for good because he has called you according to his good purpose. So do you know that hope and assurance this morning? If you do, it's so good. So wonderful, so right. Rest assured in it today. And if you don't know it, call out to God. Ask him to awaken your heart to loving him. Ask him to show you his grace and love for you. Folks, if you ask him, he will show it. If he has called you, he has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. He will complete that good work in you. He will grow in you love for him. And for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. It's the best promise ever. It's the best promise in the Bible. Let's pray. God, thank you for these sweet words. We can have no greater hope. There's no greater joy in you. I pray for the assurance and the comfort and the hope of my friends here. May those that know and love you rest assured in this today. And may those who don't come to love you that this promise too might be theirs. Nothing not our sin, nor our rebellion, nor the work of any evil, nor any tragedy that befall us can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You're always at work for good. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. We know that this has all been bought through the shed blood, the death, and guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. That's our hope today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Savior Evangelical Free Church is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about what these words mean, visit our website at osefc.org.